back with another installment of the Odd Church Podcast, where we discuss issues at the intersection of faith and culture. It's been a minute, but we're back at it with our ninth episode. We had a crazy 2020 like most of you, and still engaged in lots of cultural conversations, ranging from George Floyd to the 2020 election, the Capitol insurrection, and even vaccines and stem cells. We just did those conversations over Zoom because of the pandemic, so if you want to catch up on any of those conversations, you can find them on YouTube by searching Mission Church Tucson. In this episode, we're processing corrupt church leadership and God's justice, prompted by the recent revelations of sexual and spiritual abuse by world-renowned Christian apologist Robbie Zacharias. We'll talk about the dangers of having Christian superstars and gurus, and why transparency for leaders can feel risky but actually lends itself to healthier ministries and healthier relationships. Here's episode nine of the Odd Church podcast. Odd Church is still here. There are still episodes being made. That's right. And uh, and today you've got the two big talkers of Odd Church, Andy and Mike, and we meant to include more folks and it just kind of fell through. So it's the two of us, but we figured, hey, you know, this is a, maybe it's a good way to bring it back. We could get it all off our chest. And then we can allow other people to come in. This is where we get to air our grievances. That's right. That's right. If you're not here, you can't defend yourself. And, you know, that's sad, but true. (laughs) Uh, You've heard our intro, but we're we're with Mission Church. We've got, we kind of have a unique church. I mean, that's the truth of it. And so when we come at a topic like today, talking about Ravi Zacharias, um, I... I expect anybody interested in this topic has already, there's so much information. And so I just kind of want to state real quick here to say that we want to talk this about this through the lens of our approach to ministry. That is not to say we think we are insulated from having any problems or any issues. Or bias. Or bias, right. But in in talking about him, there, there are some things built into maybe the problem here that we've seen we've built our church in a little bit different way. And it's a, it's an opportunity for us to talk about that and, uh, and what happened and, and how we want to discuss this with culture and people of our church and things of that nature. Yeah. Mike, you, you had the other day succinctly kind of reminded us what this podcast is about. Tell everybody listening really quick. Sure. So the point of this podcast is, well, the reason we wanted to start doing it was for a couple of reasons. One, we wanted to talk about issues that were at the intersection of culture and faith in a way that is kind of uniquely us, but maybe things that aren't always being talked about, especially by church people. Right. And secondly, it was kind of like a handshake to anybody looking either to get involved at mission, if they're kind of wondering... Uh, if it's the type of place they would want to be, or if it's if it's someone that's already at mission and they just want to get to know some of us a little bit better and hear what we have to say about things that are cultural issues that we're not really preaching from the pulpit necessarily. Yep, yep. So, all right, Ravi Zacharias. Here's here's an interesting. Maybe this is a little bit of a good setup for this one. There there have been a lot of people in ministry who've made mistakes or or whatever, you know, this year on our YouTube channel, we've discussed Jerry Falwell Jr., we've discussed Carl Lentz. Um, that, that's a thing. It's painful. It's never easy. But neither one of those two were on our bookshelf, okay? 
Those, um, the yeah. brands of Christianity, you could call Jerry Falwell kind of, he's the heir of fundamentalism, kind of the, uh, if I could be just, I mean, sort of rude, he's kind of the spoiled son of fundamentalism or something. <laughs> yeah. And so I would never have put a, a Falwell book on our bookshelf. It's not the flavor. It's not the flavor we were ever shooting for. Um, Carl Lentz, um, here's a guy that we all would say a very relevant pastor, a pastor that probably people in our church were into. But then again, I never would have put his books on the bookshelf either. I would have considered them to be maybe not. We have a value of depth. And I think I would have said, right. uh, we're not we're not hitting the depth value here. Yeah. Um, but Ravi, um, we had his books on the shelf. I just took a couple down because I thought, you know, even though there's still good stuff in here, I don't think it's just probably not going to come across the right way to highlight a, a Ravi Zacharias book. Now I'm reflecting, been talking to one of our other elders, Ray, about Ravi and looking back and going, hmm, was he gospel saturated? And looking back, maybe I'm not sure. Right. You know, but but for many reasons, including our value of depth and such, he was the kind of guy that we might have said, yeah, give him a listen. And now you're, we're hearing, wow, this is one of the worst. This is one right. of the worst situations I kind we've of, seen. I kind of agree with that. I, I, I kind of never uh, thought of, of Ravi Zacharias as the kind of like preacher or yeah, the person not. I was going to connect. Yeah. Or maybe, maybe even it didn't seem super apparent to me that, that he was like, radically personally transformed. Mm. Um, but he knew his apologetics. Yeah. That was his thing. And so for anybody who doesn't necessarily case, know everything yeah. about this, but you've just seen a, fa- uh, article headline on Facebook about Ravi Zacharias, a Christian yeah. leader that did bad things. Who's Basically, already died, but in, yeah. in being researched, it's bad. Yeah. So, I don't know. We should. I think we should give it a little context, and we can yeah. let people read up farther if they want to do that. But basically, Ravi Zacharias for how many decades has been doing mm. apologetics? Like three, four. Oh gosh, decades. at least. I mean, I, I was looking at the book uh, Jesus Among Other Gods. Is that the right one? Mm. Um, but the original copyright on that was in the seventies, early seventies, right. and so we're talking so that f- fifty years at yeah. least. That's a that's a really influential book that of his that's been around that long. Of course, it's been updated and reprinted, but yeah. it's uh, yeah, we're talking decades. But that's um, who he is, kind mm-hmm. of in Christianity. He's he's also a guy that would have you know kind of more public debates with yep. atheists. Um, he was kind of like the almost the debate guy, the apologetics guy, and he and, would and he won a lot. I mean, he right. was very very smart, had a lot of defeater arguments. Um, which, you know, it always sounds weird to say in in a way when, I mean, I don't know if I were talking to my skeptical friend, I wouldn't be like, Hey, I know a guy with a lot of defeater arguments, but anytime, (laughs) any, anytime, any of us in the world, when there's someone who sees things from your philosophical point of view, and they tend to have arguments that people can't answer, there's something exciting about that. There's something intriguing about that. And that, was what he offered, I think, to many. Right. So this is the this that's the person he was. Uh, he passed away in May 2020, I believe. And right. he like uh, that, yeah. so he was like 
one of the, I'd say like probably top three, at least top five names in Christian, especially in Christian apologetics. Yeah, if not the top in right. Christian apologetics. Yeah. And, uh, and a, an accusation came out against him in 2017, mm-hmm. where a woman basically um, said that she and Ravi had been sending pictures and she felt like he had been actually kind of grooming her and, and right. persuading her to do this. And then she felt really bad about it and came out and said something. Um, they kind of got silenced. That was in, yeah, that was in 2017. And, and the, the public understanding of it was that they kind of dropped the charges or, I, you know, actually I didn't come in having bullet noted all of this. Um, when you hear that sound, by the way, it's cause we're in the flight path of Davis Monthan Air Force Base. So just there's feel the power. Um, but the, uh, yeah, yeah. You heard that, oh, the charges got dropped or whatever, but it turns out, and a lot of us didn't know this, that there's a non-disclosure agreement. So there was a settlement mm-hmm. and a non-disclosure. And so that's, that's disappointing. But at the time it felt like, oh, maybe, maybe that was just one of those trying to take a leader down things. <laughs> Right. Yeah, and that's kind of how it got played by uh, I think Ravi Zacharias Ministries. Oh, hundred yeah. percent. And uh, and then in twenty, was it twenty twenty? Was when the next ones came out, August, mm-hmm. August or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then they said, well, you know what? Uh, we still don't think this is anything, right. but we're going to put a third party investigating yeah. right. behind this. Long story short, I think probably around August, some people felt actually, yeah, there might be some validity to this. Mm-hmm. And then when the studies came out. It was kind of a bombshell. Yeah. It's like, uh, oh, yeah, it's worse. They just showed... It's real bad. Well, yeah, yeah and, and they, they kind of revealed just absolutely everything mm-hmm. about all about what the investigation found. There was, I mean, it, there was rape. There was yeah. grooming. There yeah. was absolute misuse of power and, like, extreme spiritual abuse and manipulation. manipulation yeah. And uh, yeah. may, maybe... I, I don't know how you felt about this, but when I when I read the response uh, or kind of the post from Ravi Zacharias International Ministries, yeah. I I was kind of torn because I felt well, when this kind of stuff happens in Christianity, this is more what I want to see because they right. they owned it right a hundred percent, but then it almost felt as if. I don't know. It, it felt a little bit weird because I wasn't sure why they were yeah. doing it and why why now. Um, and um, the tone was almost, it almost felt like now that we're saying this this way, please yeah. give us a shot to not be destroyed, basically. Yeah, another another interesting thing about this ministry that I don't think was ever, well, it definitely was never on my radar. I don't know how many people really thought about it. This is an anonymous board. We right. don't know. We don't know who's on it. Yeah, um, that's problematic. I don't know who's talking to us um, when that board speaks, uh, and and I think that's one of many layers that we see that were built into this um, this ministry that are concerning. When you look back, there was the accountability for Ravi Zacharias himself. He was kind of insulated from accountability within his own organization, right? Very by by design, by his design, by, by his design. Yeah. Um, you know the the whole anonymous board. I'm sure there's a lot of boards that are anonymous, but it seems like in in a ministry world, you shouldn't need to do that. Um, and 
anyway, so that that's just a layer. And I didn't know that when I read it at first. So it now comes across to me even different knowing that the people are anonymous. I don't know if they're saving this organization. I think if anything, it'd be salvaging something to repackage. But, right. um, you know, who knows where their heads are at. I think, interestingly, I read that letter when I was sitting in the waiting room making sure I didn't have anaphylaxis after my second COVID shot. So mm. that was a interesting read while in the doctor's office. Wow. But, um, but as I read it, yeah, similarly, I thought, well, at least they're owning it. But then when you look at the journey and all the other opportunities they had to own it, yeah. then you go, wow, too little, too late. And unfortunately, you go, wow, I wish, I wish that even some of the concerning stuff, like Ravi's desire to be insulated from accountability. It seems like having people, a traveling masseuse go with him everywhere. Yeah. And which was, you know, to be fair, that's something that even one of his own uh, staffers came up and, and told him, Hey, this doesn't look good. I, right. I don't know whether this staffer knew anything about it. It seemed right. like, it seemed like he didn't. Right. And was just saying, Hey, I know you're probably, this probably doesn't mean anything, but it looks bad. Right. And, and it seems like those people got shut down, silenced real well, fast. Well, yeah, now it's exactly what happened was <clears throat> the kind of, the guy, Right. Kind of got reamed a little bit, and then Ravi just didn't talk to him anymore. Kinda yeah, shut shut him out, and he didn't get fired. But is that? Yeah, I mean, is that almost worse? Almost yeah, because he was still there. Yeah, and 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 what you wish is that that people would have said, "Hey, that's not cool." Way before it got to this, right? But it's I don't you know. Obviously, there's a lot we don't know. Unfortunately, so this reports rough they they even suggest it's very cursory that there's a, probably a lot more that they right. some people didn't want to be in but they didn't need to go any further to establish that there was absolutely sexual abuse so it's uh that's that's the situation um there's questions about was it handled the best it could be I, i'm a little sensitive to some of that because i i don't think any situation is probably handled exactly as it should be um so there's a part of me that wants to go, you know what? I don't expect perfection, yeah. but at the same time, gosh, we got to, something's got to change. We, we have to, we have to look at this. One Christian leader, a lady I know put out something that was like, Hey, we can mourn it. We can lament it. But at some point people need to go no more of this and make some substantive changes. And I, I think that's true. Right. Yeah. I kind of wonder, man. I wonder what would have happened if he if if this all came out um, while he was alive, or right. or right. if it even would have, um, you know, would right. they would they have asked for the investigation? Would they have done it? Kind of seems like probably not. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it makes me think about everything that went down with Mark Driscoll mm-hmm. in the what, no, ten not years ago. Really, the sexual stuff, but the no, yeah, it the was, type of leadership that was yeah, yeah, in the same vein, kind of. Uh, overpowering dominant uh spiritually abusive i think is probably right. yep still a good word for it um and he he didn't handle that very well no. i mean he didn't definitely didn't like publicly repent kind of brushed it off in, in maybe a halfway apology but it's almost like that apology when you have a friend that's like you know i'm sorry if what i said hurt your feelings <laughs> yeah um and you're like yeah if what you per- so. <laughs> if you perceived it this way i'm sorry yeah which, yeah, and for for me, honestly, uh, we had 
you know, there around Mark Driscoll, there was such a big music oh, thing. Right. He actually right. did a lot of great things for Christian music yeah. at the time. With in you know, not him specifically, but he supported it. He yeah. he poured into it uh, with the resources that they had. Right. And I thought, man, when when all of this stuff came out with him, I thought this is actually this would be like such a great opportunity for the world to see how our people in power under accusation yeah. don't just you know gaslight don't just don't just try to right. get in as little trouble as possible but we own we own our stuff and then but you know that didn't happen obviously yeah no it's true i mean maybe this maybe this gets at a little bit of what we want to talk about regarding you know our church and and stuff of that nature um but in both of these situations ravi mark driscoll the accountability structures weren't there right. you know it it was so it was too easy to walk away or too easy to control the whole ship and that's a very american evangelical thing um i i think we really need to distinguish that's not a historical christian thing that's kind of a a modern um something that the American church has done. It's if you, if you will, it's if you take that kind of American pioneer cowboy spirit of nobody's going to tell me what to do and, and uh, I've got this and whatever. Right. Very person central, very, very leader central. And almost, you know, yeah. they almost seem more like, uh, a, like CEOs than they do pastors. Oh, right. And, and in many respects are, I mean, it's, it's the, it, there was just a there was a Tim Keller conversation that came out recently, and and of course he would acknowledge, you know, this applies to him as well. But he was just talking about maybe the mistakes that he he had made in groups of like platforming celebrities, and he talked about how much how hard it was to become one, and he kind of hated it. But yeah, Francis Chan. Yeah, hated it so much that he just left just, his whole church. Right, <laughs> started something. I mean, maybe maybe that was the right thing. That's yeah, that's tough to say though, because you know there was also a huge ministry and huge impact. And right, and some people some people hate it, and they're the ones I sort of feel like should have it. Same with probably being the president. It's like you should probably be the president if you don't want to be the president. Right, if you want to be the president, that's kind of concerning to me. But um, but then there's people who want it. They want. Mm-hmm. They want the control. They want the spotlight. And uh, it's hard to know when somebody's just comfortable with it, good at it, versus that's really why they're there. You know? Yep. Yeah, man. Well, I wonder, so as we're talking about this, the place that, the place that our values really uh, don't align with it center around that idea. Right. Where... There is definitely a cultural impetus toward um, like entrepreneurship uh-huh. and you know picking yourself up by, by your bootstraps and making something of yourself. Like the rags to riches story is a huge thing. And we end up, I think maybe that's why uh, we don't like this idea of the, of the big mega church right. that kind of blows up because it looks too much like America's idea of success and, and yeah. often without consideration of maybe how a ministry would look if it's just modeled after 
the Bible or after the Gospels, which is a really tough question in and of itself because there's not a formula there. <laughs> right, right. Um, it's more the principles that underlie. And I, I'm not even trying to say that mega churches aren't bad or right. that like there's there's a bunch of stuff that mega churches do much better than our little church will ever be able to do. And I feel like we should say because of the generosity of some mega churches or people who go to them, we exist. We exist. (laughs) So, you know, I think we would be kind of foolish to utterly throw that under the bus, but there is something built in within us of disbelieving in that celebrity pastor leader thing. And it's interesting. I think about the, the people we have here and I, maybe this isn't accurate, but I mean, I, 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 feel pretty strongly about yourself that you could be leading worship at a way bigger church and making way more money and getting way more spotlight. Um, that would just kill my soul though. <laughs> it, it would, <laughs> but you, but you I would could, have more money. You could. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, and Nick and I, we have, we have our own unique abilities, but I think, and, and John too, uh, and those are, you know, as kind of our pastor team, if you will here, but, all of us are bivocational and we give the church some time, but imagine if we made this like our only thing and we say, I went and I learned how to be a way better speaker than I am. I could do that. I could take that time. I could go get coached. I could, you know, figure, figure out how to be the best. And I'm sure excel beyond this, these mm-hmm. humble spaces, but I don't want to, that's not really what we're about. And so we don't put, effort into that. We put effort into other things. And we've, we've heard things where people have suggested, I've heard, I've heard so many versions of, you know, if you just did this, this could be really great, you know, and if you added this and Mm -hmm. if you had, uh, if you had better visuals or if you had, uh, you know, if you just put in a little more time on your sermons or the videos you put out, if they were dialed in more and, you know, and all that stuff. And there's a part of me and a part of what something in our DNA that's almost gone, no, like we're gonna yeah. not do that. Not just because it's not because we don't care about doing things well. It's that would that would start to signal that we were entering into this aim that would get us into this category that we don't want to be in. Yeah, we're not we're not the church that can do the that that is driven to do the big slick Sunday service where you leave feeling like, man, I've just been so uplifted and emotionally fulfilled. And like, that might happen some Sundays, like if if that's where God's bringing, if that's where, if that's, you know, and sometimes the stars align and we, you know, have a really impactful or really whatever service, but it seems like the reasons we're not drawn to that is because a lot of times we've seen it done really disingenuously, yeah. yep. um, which is its own form of spiritual manipulation. Right, right. Yeah, I remember talking to a, a musician from a church, I think some of you know, who who had suggested to me that they knew the exact formula to get people emotionally right. involved, right? And you probably could articulate that right now. And, and they just mm-hmm. said, you know, that... I hate it. You know, they're like, I hate that it's not God, that I yeah. know how to do it. I know how to get it done. And so there's definitely a part of us that doesn't want to do that. Same thing with, with sermons. 
I kind of would prefer that we're up there, you know, that we're, it's thoughtful. We've done some study, but we're also not dialing it in so much that people just walk away going, wow, that was the best. That was, you know, that there's, if it's, if it's powerful, um, it's because God was at work and truths were spoken, but not because we executed it. The goal was never to have a great TED talk sermon. Right. It was to bring the, it's just, it's always to bring the scripture up and ask, how is this? Right. How does this challenge us? How does this reframe and transform us? How does this help us understand who we are more in the light of Christ and how we act, therefore, in the world? And those things are not always, first of all, easy. Mm-hmm. They're most of the time not. Well, and yeah, I always I find myself talking people out of things a lot. I, it's funny because. I feel people really follow when there's just clear, strong conviction and you can just get behind it. And it's always, and it's, we're going here and here's why, and it's right. And I think that's something that when I look back at what I would struggle with, with Ravi would be, um, it was part of what you loved about him, but as part of what made me a little uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. He always knows. Wow. It's too it's, black and it's white. It's always, yeah. And that's just not the way I feel. Oh, you know, it doesn't things. seem that that's the way the Bible actually even presents itself to us. Right, right. I had a couple guys sit me down, and I, I've co-written a little book on bivocationalism, and so they're like, "Yeah, talk, talk to us about being bivocational." And I found myself going, "Yeah, that is a good reason that one I've said in the book." But okay, to be honest, though, like it doesn't always work that way, or right. you know, there's a major pitfall over here, and and. You know, it's not so cut and dry. I, I've chosen to be about this. Our church has chosen to promote bivocationalism, but it has some real downsides. And it's not just like rah, rah, it's all going to work. And I've found yeah. that I have that tendency within me. And I think I think that's, <laughs> if I could say, I think that's one reason our church is is what it is, but it, it's also a reason our church hasn't been blow up successful is because we don't ever get up here and go, we know what to do, come with us. We often kind of give disclaimers and go, you know, oh, but it's hard or, right. you know. And I think that's, but that people like that, like you're saying, Ravi, right. um, definitely Mark Driscoll. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people like that who who rise to that kind of yeah. fame and success are doing, are, are giving us what we want and they're giving us the answer. This is the direction you go. This is what to, which gives us the illusion of control, which to me just brings me right back to the Garden of Eden, uh, Garden of Eden, and the and the tree yeah. of the knowledge of good and evil. That's the illusion. Yeah, the illusion is that we we can grab this thing, and now we'll know what's good and we'll know what's bad, and we can do yeah the right thing and not do the wrong thing. And you won't need grace, and we won't need God. Right, right. Yeah, and and of course, with Ravi now, the new you know big debate will be: was he a Christian? Right, like. The, that's already going around. Mm-hmm. I don't really have any interest in giving another opinion on that. Um, but, yeah. but the thing it, it brings up is, you know, that is one way to not actually lean into God at all is to have all the answers to be in control. Yeah. And so that's something to be aware of. And, and often that's the one that people fall into. It, it it's very religious, right? Right. Yeah. And I think, Maybe that's that's the most frustrating part is to to 
be frank, I think a lot of us, and maybe even a lot of Christians, want to be able to say no. He right. obviously wasn't a Christian. Right. And I, I want to say that too. Right. And Well, that would like clear it up. Like, look, he was just a total fraud. And yeah. the terrifying thing is maybe he actually was. Right. And maybe he was saved by grace and God used his ministry and he was super, super messed up and really didn't listen to God most of the time. I don't, I don't think that usually reflects the people in the Bible that I look up that, that I look at that did mess up a lot because there's definitely a difference in an attitude of repentance. But there are some examples, right. you know, where, pe- where God just continues to... Yeah. I mean, that's the story of the people of Israel. There's examples in the Bible of people who are very much like Ravi in that we don't really have a clear-cut answer of whether they were a Christian or not. And how it ended up for them. <laughs> how it man. ended up for them. Right. Yeah. I mean, some they ways... Just, they're just there. They're part of the people of God. They do terrible things and they and they die. And you go, so what's the answer? Right. And it, God's like... What's the moral of the story? I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> and maybe, yeah, honestly, I think for some people, it probably feels a little bit relieving to believe that he wasn't a Christian because... It, that for them would mean he's in hell. He's suffering now. That that's the flips. The, there's the one side of like, so we, he's not one of us. We we're, re, we're good. We're good. And the other side is like, he's suffering for what he did. And uh, and there's a that's that's a whole nother problem zone. Right. Yeah. But the, we even had a, a friend of ours saying how frustrated she was that right. he wasn't here. He wasn't still alive to deal with the the shame to and get to, to yeah. receive basically the consequences of his right. abuse and his actions and and man I you know that's something that I don't think with any of us doesn't resonate at least a oh, little yeah. bit but that's that's something that also reveals maybe that we don't trust that God is really actually a good judge right and not to I'm not I'm not saying that shame on you you don't think right. that. I'm saying like I, I, that's what I feel a lot of times. That's the big one of the biggest temptations. That's the, the temptation towards control. It's like God's not going to do this. I've got to do something about it. I was, uh, I was saying to somebody recently, you know, how many of the tolerance bumper stickers are selling still? You know, I know I, you don't see them not, as much anymore. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's because we've almost all, as a culture, realized, you know, we we do actually like judgment. We want we, we, we want justice more than tolerance. Yeah, and we want tolerance for for us and our friends. We want judgment for our enemies. For our enemies, mm-hmm. and uh, which which proves that those are just kind of shallow ideas. Um, that it's tolerance isn't quite simple. It's too simple. It it doesn't really get at the complexities of life, and uh, there there's just a lot more to it. You you really need to feel the whole spectrum. You need to. There, there, should you be angry? Um, I, I think the closest people to Ravi Zacharias that I've read and are, are angry and justifiably so. Uh, people who've been through some kind of mistreatment um, are seeing this and they're, they're angry, they're triggered. I, and of course you would be. How would you not? Um, but then to, but then you know there, there's something about you know realizing that it's not. It's not just good to want to see somebody suffer. Um, there's something. There's something in there that's kind of sinister too, and kind of dark, and maybe even like 
getting just as evil as what Ravi did. Returning evil uh, with evil at least. Yeah. And, and, uh, but I feel the same, I feel the same things. And there, and we all have our categories when it hits our pain points. Yeah. Um, we, we feel that way. And, uh, and I think probably the healthy thing is to acknowledge the reality of that and process through that with God. That's, you see well, that. It, yeah. It feels, yeah. it feels like <clears throat> if, if this happened, I would feel better. Yeah. Or, you know, because justice would be served or because things were the way they were supposed to be. Um, but anytime, at least personally, anytime I've, I've felt that, like this temporal thing needs to happen in order for things to right. be okay. And I, and, and I get that thing. I'm just left wanting more. Right. I'm just left, or I'm just left empty. Yeah. When we, we honestly, it's, it's not hard to hate people. And it's just like super easy. It's really <laughs> We're good at being pretty hateable. Comes naturally. Yeah. And it's easy because of that to right. want, whether it's subconsciously or overtly, other people to suffer for the things they've done. But when we see that happen, at least in my own experience, when that does happen, I, I almost end up just feeling more disappointed. Right. And... I think that's. I think there's something to do there with the image of God in, in each one of us, and and maybe just the illusion that these things are actually able to give us some kind of completion or or wholeness. Because um, it's hard to say that you believe in. You know that. I think. I think for a lot of people, they same the same people that would say they believe all people are generally good. Right. Also, want some specific people. Yeah. To suffer. Yeah, it it often feels like the statement, you know, all people are basically good is is more aspirational than than actual when you talk to people. You know, and what they mean is you can find the most evil person and you'll find something good in them and they want to say that's most basic. Or you'll even or maybe you'll just find a reason why they got what they got. Yeah, and it was because of trauma or because of some experience or so that explains it. But that doesn't actually fix it. Does that for make it victims, better? Victims, right? Right. Yeah, and it it's not enough to just explain it, you know, so the guy that killed your daughter, um, you know, he had a hard childhood and his, you know, and he was insulted and uh, maybe he was, he was abused, abused, whatever. Yeah. And, and you go, you know, the closer you are to one of those situations, the less easy it is to go, oh, well then it's not that big of a deal. It's like, no, it's actually a massive deal. It's not, you know, nobody is unaffected. Nobody just comes into the world like, you know, doing that stuff, they're shaped, they're formed, there's nature, there's nurture, but, um, but it doesn't make it okay. It's still right. Evil. That's the, the analogy I, yeah. I, that I've heard that I like the best is, is almost like, imagine, imagine a child that you know, and someone hurting them. Even, even if this person that hurt your, hurt that child had their own story and their own history. Right. It doesn't make it good that that happened. It doesn't right. make it okay or maybe even understandable. Justice right. still should be served. And we all believe that. Right. Some, something should be done about that. But when we look at ourselves, yeah. we've, we've been the person that hurts. We still do it. Right. And what does that mean about justice? 
now when it's facing towards us. So there is so much nuance, and this is this is one of my favorite um, one of my favorite concepts is that if anyone truly was capable of of judging how much justice was due where or how much it wasn't right. somebody's fault, or what the actual impact was on the victim, and how much, how much does that mean? There needs to be some kind of recompense. There would have to be basically a perfect judge, right? a perfectly loving, understanding, and just They would judge. probably need to understand victimhood, meaning that they would have to have been, you know, traumatized themselves, sinned against themselves in all imaginable ways, and then they'd have to be coming from a place of absolute, like, you know, excellent moral standard and character. Right. Yeah. You know, who, what other judge can you trust? I mean, I've been in courtrooms. Right. I've, I've had, I've been in trials in which important things to me were in the hand of judges. And I've seen judges make very different decisions based on who they are and their story and their, mm-hmm. and you know, and you can see it at play, even just in their face, right? And right. and it's, uh, yeah, that we need more than, you know, because any of us could be a, you know, any of us could be a judge. I mean, think about it, you know? I think I could probably be about like a, a B plus. Yeah, I'd be a judge. I'd be okay. <laughs> if, I'm, if, I'm if, being I, if I really worked on it, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But, the, but that's, that's really the thing, and, and that's what the Bible invites us into in God and Jesus Christ. It's this judge who not only loves justice and has, he, it's, vengeance is his. And he's also, he also sees us. He sees our history. He sees our pain. He sees our victimhood and has compassion and grace on it. And well, and then what I'm getting at is like, if all sins are truly against God, then, you know, act doesn't just see our victimhood is actually is a victim victimized, if us. you, if you will, more than us. Yeah. And, um, and across the board in so many ways, like, and talk about, you know, you want to say like traumatized, like understands trauma. I, I think Jesus understands trauma. Um, maybe to a level, most of us don't. I mean, the, what, what he had to bear, the amount of the, the pain, the rejection, there's something about being rejected when something's rightfully yours and when it's rightfully who you are. So it, it, to be the most worthy, um, pure, loving being who's one with God and to not only be rejected by those that you love, but by your father, mm-hmm. I like the level of rejection is just more and more, you know, it's like... That's complete aloneness. The complete alone. Like it hurts more for... You know, so a wife is cheated on by her husband. That hurts more than if a boyfriend leaves a girlfriend, which hurts more than if somebody doesn't give you a Valentine card. You know, the closer you are, the more it hurts. Right. The more, almost the more vulnerable you are, or you could even say like more unified you are to that person. Right. And that's the language that the Bible uses about God and and Christ and the spirits are there. It's It's the word Jesus uses about God. Right. I and the Father are one. one. Right. Yep. So the big question then is, even when we see all of this pain and evil 
happening in the world and we want justice, which it's not a bad thing. It's no. a good, that's a beautiful thing. The big question in my mind that I always have to ask myself is, do I, do I actually trust that God is just and that that thing doesn't just, doesn't, that person just doesn't get off scot-free or if he does for some reason, do I still trust that God was actually the good judge? I know, I mean... (laughs) <laughs> the easiest way to, to bring myself back into that space is to realize how much my own limits constrain me. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm a pretty self-aware person. I feel like I know, you know a lot about a lot of different little things. And the saying is true that the more you know, the, real, the more you realize you don't yeah. know. And I've, you know, you, I think you experience that about anything that you learn any area that you gain um, knowledge in, you start to realize, oh, there's so much more. Yeah. And I'm never, that I'm, that I, I, it just gets bigger and bigger. And so there's, there's never been a human that has been anywhere close to complete in their knowledge or, or ability to be a just judge or any of these things. And so innately that means I can't, with good conscience, say, I know what should be done in this situation right. better than especially a God that is even like, even like twice as smart as me. Right. right. Or like, even like, even if the God is just like a little bit smarter than the smartest person on earth. And the, the way the Bible talks about it is that his ways are like, are like far higher than our ways and his like thoughts higher than our thoughts. Exponentially. And if there right. is a God that created all of this, that created the entire universe of course, it would. He would have to be far, far more intelligent and knowledgeable and emotionally intelligent. And mm-hmm. the idea that I'm somehow more capable of the correct judgment, once I actually start to consider it, gets more and more ridiculous. Right, right. So you know, we say all those things, and that's it's all extremely true. And we're, these are basic, like these are principles underneath the gospel that we believe. You know, if you're here at our church, we're, there, there are many commitments we have to the, the historic faith and then ultimately to the good news of the faith, the gospel that's uh, held within the scriptures. And, and that includes the utter sinfulness of us people, which includes not just our, oh, the bad things we do, but the good things we don't and our how far we fall short from justice and understanding and wisdom and all of that gets lumped into this general category of not being God, um, falling short. And then, so that's bad news. Good news is that that's, God doesn't require that you be God. God requires that you receive grace from him and let that change you. And that's, I mean, really what our big thing is about. I mean, that's what that's what we're anchoring in. That's what we're trying to minister out of. Um, so we're not the smartest people and we don't always get it right. And we, you know, with the first uh, piece of our little mission statement, you'll see out on our sign is broken people. That's an assumption here. You, there's, there's really no other option. That's your pastors, your elders, um, everybody, you know, everybody you deal with is, is a broken person. Uh, but then our second piece is given grace. And that is that we're kind of looking 
to God. That's that's the big thing is broken people uh, looking to God who gives. But then as we we think through some things that we're trying to do in as broken people as a imperfect church to try to press against um, maybe what happened in like a Ravi Zacharias situation. I think there's a few things we we try to build in. We've mm-hmm. tried to build in things like accountability. We've talked in our church about um, we do we have elders who oversee the church, and one of the convictions that we had that we acted on last year was, you know, if if we're asking our church to have accountability to elders, then our elders need to have accountability to people who are like elders to them. And so in a rare move for a young hip church, we moved from being independent to being denominational, which is uh, not always how it goes. And um, that has its, there's more meetings and paperwork and stuff. But overall, I think it's it's really, you know, I, I'm proud to say that we have, there, there's, there are courts you can appeal to that are higher than us. And if mm-hmm. you feel like we're off the rails and. And that's also just protection for our congregation. Right. I mean. You've seen it happen where church falls apart because the people in leadership can't decide who's right and who's wrong, and right. it just splits. And and uh, right, and I've seen churches saved because a group outside of that church's elders came in and helped steer the thing. Yeah, and so that's that's huge. And and it's you know that we're not just leading alone; we're getting input and voice. And even as we give input and voice into the ministry of other churches, it sharpens us. And we've also, I mean, we've also seen examples of poor leadership and oversight. And so I think that's a lot of the reason why a lot of younger churches maybe avoid the denominational approach. It's because they don't want the red tape. They don't want people telling them what to do and when to do it and how to do it. And and it, it kind of feels constricting yeah. and hampering. And for sure, we've seen that happen a lot. And, and, I, and I'm we actually, get those feelings. We sympathize. And yeah. I've, I'm, I'm actually really um, grateful, though, that the kind of the thing that God just plopped in our lap, honestly, right. the denomination, ended up being one where really they, they give a lot of... I mean, they don't require almost anything of us in operation. We happen to already align with... Yeah. The overwhelming majority <laughs> right. of the theology that they hold and the ones, the places we did in line, we got to kind of bring those to bring those up and talk about how important is this right? and kind of mutually submit to each other on that. Right. But really the thing I'm the most grateful for is, yeah, that, that, that gives us accountability and that gives us people above us that aren't in the situation, whatever that may yeah. be, that can come in and say, Look, this 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 is what's going on, and this is actually right. something to consider. This is maybe the the reason this is happening, and give some clarity when their emotions aren't necessarily involved in it. Yeah, no, absolutely, and so that's something we've we've tried to build in. Um, I think another layer, just on the more interpersonal level, is there's there's very little distance, and this is a hard thing in our context, but a healthy thing. It's hard for a couple of reasons. There's very little distance between the leaders and the people. Um, and and we even have done a little bit of work to try to minimize that. Like there's not a visual difference. We don't come in dressed differently. We don't come in, you know, doing, you know, no task is really below anybody. You know, right. we all take out the trash. We all, whatever. There, there's just simple things. But um but some some of the people in our church know us, you know, really really well. 
as in like stuff that, you know, I don't know. I, I suppose we have maybe some deeper conversations with people in our church than we have with some of our own family members right. um, as leaders. And that's hard because it can be disappointing. You know, if you're, if you're in our church and you get to know us well, yeah, that can be disappointing. I love know. that though. Yeah. I don't, <laughs> yeah. no one should think that I am right. a guru of any kind. Right. Cause if you believe that you're wrong. Yeah. <laughs> and you also shouldn't believe that about your own pastor. And if you do, right. you're wrong. Right. Or any, any, anybody, we put people up on these pedestals yeah. and we think somehow like what they have yeah. can save us in one form or another. And that's just wrong. That is like the thing that God hammered on over and over and over with the Israelites. It's idolatry. No other gods before me. We do it all the time. We're so prone to do it. I almost, I almost like purposefully put out a version of me. That's like, you really, really better know that I'm not, I mean, maybe to a fault. <laughs> I, I, I think if there's a if there's a fault in that for us, it's that we undersell sometimes our less like we're less likely to claim the authority that God has given. And yeah, we have to lean into that. And we're and I even hated just saying that. I know, <laughs> I know. It's it's uncomfortable uh, and for right. us. And I think that that is. I, I'm glad. It, I'm glad it's uncomfortable when we have to lean into it. It's usually against our desire. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a tension, but, but we lean toward kind of going, look, no, like we're not, we're not your guru. We're not your expert. Um, and, and I think the other reason it's hard is because it's kind of tiring for leaders to be known. Well, it is, you know, it really is. Um, it's every once in a while, I long for a, you know, to be in a situation where I don't have to really worry about my relationships with anybody where I could just show up and, uh, give a good speech. And, you know, I, I heard about a pastor here in Tucson who used to just have a TV room and he would sit in it and watch TV and then he would descend and preach and then he'd go back and watch TV <laughs> during Gosh. the music. And, wow. um, and, uh, that sounds ridiculous, but there's this part of me that, you know, this wrong part of me that's like, well, that'd be awesome because then I wouldn't have to expend my energy and I wouldn't have to like work through trying to understand people and be understood and all right. this stuff. But, um, which is usually not what, what I think a lot of pastors are, are hiding from. It tends to be the opposite. Right. right? I'm tired of having to keep up this persona right. or make sure that right. all the things I'm saying are, and those are Gotta different forms, right. different forms yeah. of mental exertion, but they're, I think, you know, maybe in some ways that's just the, one of the burdens that you bear if you're going to be in ministry or it, as you, totally. you're just giving all the time. Totally. So we'd rather give in a way that makes us really, you know, vulnerable to the people that we're leading and, yeah. and, you know, unified with them, even though that takes a lot of mental, mental energy yeah, than we, to do so by making sure our reputation looks the way it ought to and that, and that our ministry will move forward because of that or for some reason. And I'm proud to say that if there's one thing our, you know, the elders of this church have asked me to do multiple times, it has been to like move towards someone to know the, how the relationship is doing or to like better the relationship. That's often the advice. Right. right. And, and, uh, that's, that's awesome. I mean, it's, but, but it's hard, you know, and it's hard. I think it's hard both ways. Like it, I can understand how somebody coming to a church would be like, I don't really I just want, I want a guru. I just want somebody to tell me what to do. I don't want a person that 
you know, teaches the Bible and then also fails, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. but, but I think being in that type of community, uh, is just so radically different than what you see in what we're learning about this Ravi story where you've kind of got the untouchable guru um, mm-hmm. who's insulated from everything. And so I, I, I think it's healthy to think that through and go, you know what, would it be better to have imperfect leaders who I know and who I have to struggle in relationship with? Right. Um, or would it be better to, to be insulated from my leaders and not really know how they're doing at all and and continue to like perpetuate this model uh, where where leaders are right and sure and alone. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I don't want to harp on the point over and over again, but man. Do it. Your past, like, oh, pastors, we should, if you are a pastor and you're listening to this and you know that you haven't been honest or you haven't, oh, you haven't been transparent and that you feel the pressure to be the shining example of the church and that it's the, the reason that you need to do that is because of the reputation of your ministry. Like just take, take some time to think about how much vulnerability can model for the people in your congregation, the ways that they can be transformed by Christ through honesty, through humility, through allowing the mm. truth of Christ to sink in and reveal the parts that aren't great. And if you're a person who's grown up in churches and who's had those kind of pastors, or if you have them right now, the people that you think are the ones that can lead you to the light, they're just, they're, they're people. Yeah. They, I guarantee you, yeah. if you don't know the skeletons, that doesn't mean they're not there. And they're definitely there. When, when they fail, hopefully they can do that in a way that's repentant and open and honest. And I think we've had to do that multiple times in our own church. Oh gosh. And the, and the hope is for for all parties involved, that is what actually brings together a church. And it sets us on a trajectory that both encourages the people of the church because they're not looking up to a pastor who they'll never be able to be as good as. Right. And it also encourages the pastor because it can show him like humility mm. is actually the way of leadership. And I don't have to upkeep this persona that I couldn't possibly do anyways. Yeah. It's, it's funny to think about this to me just sounds so obvious as I verbalize it right now, but the way to, to follow Jesus is repentance and faith. You turn away from things that aren't true and good and right and you move toward God and it's repentance. And then faith is to place your hope in God and not yourself. Um, And so really the only way, I mean, that's what we need. That's what people need to do to follow Jesus. And so how are you going to lead him in that? You have to do that too. You can't lead people to do that by not doing that. And, um, and that's not easy. And, you know, I was reflecting, I was talking to, to my wife about, Ravi versus some other Christian leaders. And she rightly brought up that, you know, but they all sin. And I said, yeah, it's true. And, and a lot of leaders are kind of bullheaded, you know, they're, Mm -hmm. there's, that's part of why they're a leader is they're That's how they got there. Yeah. And they're convinced of things and that's not even necessarily wrong. But I was thinking, I've, I've seen other leaders who probably kind of fought their elders a little bit and 
you know, and gotten some squabbles because they did really care and maybe they were wrong. But at the end of the day, you know, they, they went through that relational hullabaloo and, but they did, they went through it and they accepted consequences and they humbled themselves and they're still standing, you know? And then there's ones that don't that, you know, ditch it and leave and burn bridges. And, um, so it's not like finding the person that is just always like the absolute darling sweetheart all the time. Right. That's not it either, but it's it, repentance. It's repentance. Yeah. Humility and repentance. Yeah. Those are, yeah, that to me, that's the signature of the gospel, I think. Right. And, uh, yeah. And so again, my wife and I were talking about, we were talking about how to parent and it, a similar, it's a very similar idea where I was like, I think to parent well, we have to, we have to admit when we fail to our kid. Right. And because what do we want them to do? If we're only giving them direction of here's the right thing to do, do it. Hey, you're in trouble because you didn't do it. You know, we're not really preparing them for the life we want them to live. We want them to grow up to follow Jesus. We want them to grow up to be a pleasant human being who doesn't drive people nuts. Um, it's, those, not like, it's not like they're not going to look back and see all the things that you did wrong. Yeah. No, that will, yeah, yeah they'll <laughs> right? see that. They'll, they'll definitely go to therapy and see that. Um, so you might as well teach them to do what you want them to do. You want them to apologize. You want them to own their issues and when they hurt people. So the only way to do that as a parent is to own when you hurt them. Yeah. Um, and, and that's not always the simplest thing. And sometimes you don't realize you did it for six months. And sometimes you don't find out until your kid's an adult and they tell you, but at some point the way to parent is to, is to own it. Well, I think the fear and, is that then that'll make me lose power or I'll, standing. I'll lose my own. I will diminish as a parent. They'll, right. they'll see. And that's the fear for pastors. Right. And, and elders and ministry leaders and all this but too. the truth is you actually gain trust yep and you disciple people in what you want them to do and yeah if you if if you know that the person you are trusting in will own up when they're wrong right you like that that is a signature of love over self-preservation right and that's what I mean that's that's what you want yeah that's what that's the kind of leader you should you should want to be and that's the kind of leader we want to have yeah. I think maybe a good way to wrap up this episode would be probably one of my probably my favorite Tim Keller quote um, and he says the gospel is this we're more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe yet at the very same time we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Odd Church Podcast. As mentioned, if you want more content covering the many cultural questions that arose in 2020, find us on YouTube by searching Mission Church Tucson, and maybe we'll even do a 2020 recap here on Odd Church to try to capture in a general sense the journey we went on last year and how that's helped us clarify and hone in on the direction of our ministry. In the meantime, if you'd like to get connected, email admin at Mission Church Tucson. And as always, you can find out more information about us at missionchurchtucson.com and at Instagram at mission underscore Tucson.
Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time.